Welcome to Always West Seattle, the podcast where the people, places, and stories of West Seattle intersect. I'm your host, Keith Bacon. I read an article in the Seattle Times recently on the subject of romantic relationships in the time of COVID-19. According to a poll cited in the article, half the couples surveyed predicted they'll come out of this coronavirus quarantine with a stronger relationship. It got me thinking about my friends and neighbors in West Seattle, both partnered and single, about how their closest relationships are holding up. In this episode, we'll hear firsthand from three people about their COVID habitations. It's a slightly deeper dive than what I've done in the past, but the stories you'll hear are so fascinating and revealing, I think they're worth the extra time. We'll start off with Lena, who recently reached a one-year mark in a romantic relationship. But in addition to the challenges of dating during a quarantine, it's a connection closer to home that's taking up space in her heart. So you've been dating someone for about how long before the coronavirus situation exploded? We were two weeks shy of our one-year anniversary. And what happened when restrictions and lockdown came in? Did you have any discussion about how you were going to deal with that? Yeah. So my mother is 81 and she lives with me and her health isn't the best. So when I last saw my boyfriend was March 3rd, and it was really getting big, the importance of stay in place. Yeah. So he and I talked and I said, you know, you're still going out into public. I don't feel comfortable having you around my mom. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, I completely understand. So we talked on the phone and texted and then would do FaceTime every day. And at one point, he let me know that it did hurt his feelings that I said that and made a boundary. But then he said that he had thought about it more and it made perfect sense. And he loves my mother so much that he doesn't want to do anything to put her in a risky situation with her health. So we did talk about that and then FaceTime every single day. And so on our one year anniversary, Neither one of us are huge on dates like that, but uh-huh. we did a little, you know, FaceTime conversation. It was fun. You know, mm-hmm. it was nice to be able to stay connected like that. Yeah. So oh. then fast forward two months, <laughs> <laughs> two months of not being able to see each other. We just, you know, it, we're sheltering in place and we just had less and less to talk about. And so finally I said, you know, it might be a good time for you to start dating other people mm. if that's of interest to you. And so we had a really nice adult conversation about it. We really care a lot about each other, but it, you know, and with the bridge being closed right. on top of this indefinite quarantine, we just kind of made the decision to, I don't know if fizzling out is the right word for it or mm-hmm. description, but that's what happened. And we do still talk just about every day, but it's, it shifted into a very strong friendship. A conscious uncoupling, as we've heard before. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. was, that, was that a hard conversation to have, or did it feel sort of like a natural progression to that point? I think my thought process was a natural progression, but it did take me two days to gear up for it. And then when we had the conversation, it just was, it was beautiful. It flowed. We were both on the same wavelength and he said you know honestly sweetie we are very good friends right now and this is just I guess the situation that we're in do you think the situation accelerated the the fate of this relationship it definitely accelerated we'd had conversations in the past about him wanting to be with somebody who was at least open to the 
notion of having children and mm-hmm. I am closed to that notion. Yeah. So I think that this was probably what we needed to mm-hmm. pull the trigger and break up with each other. Right. But yeah. you're still in communication all the time with yeah, each other. Yeah, we are. In fact, yes. So we broke up. I don't remember the day, but I'm going to say it's been about two weeks. And yesterday was the very first day that we have gone 24 hours without talking. And I think we both just need that a little bit of space. Mm -hmm. But other than that, we've been staying in touch, just not FaceTiming as much. Even when you haven't seen each other in a couple of months, do you sometimes need some space? (laughs) Right, exactly. You mentioned that your mother is living with you. How long has she been living with you? September will be three years. So Mm -hmm. she moved in early September 2017. And she moved in with you because of her age and some other issues? Yeah, it's correct. So she was showing signs of dementia, and they started accelerating. And at the time, I was married to a lovely Jamaican fellow who was raised in Jamaica, and they had, you know, three generations of people living in one home. And I always thought my mother would never want to live with me. So he and I found an assisted living apartment type building eight blocks away from where I live. And we went to take her there. And because it was going to be early in the morning, we had her spend the night the night before. Mm -hmm. And it was so easy just having her around. And so my husband, we're obviously now divorced, which is why I can talk about a boyfriend. (laughs) He said, (laughs) he, he said, you know, why doesn't she just move in with us? And I just thought that was so sweet and thoughtful. So I had a conversation with her because I always thought she would never want to do that. Right. And she said it would be her her dream. Aww. So And it actually was uh, wonderful because two months or three months after she moved in is when my ex-husband and I started to break up. And she played no role in that other than I think in a weird way she did keep us together maybe an extra month or two than what a natural progression would have been. Uh And then she was there for me through the whole recovery process. And it was really nice to have her here. Yeah. And she really likes my ex-husband, as do I. And so there was no need for her to take sides. And let's not forget, she has dementia. So I could tell her things and know that some of them would go into the abyss. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she's been pretty active in the neighborhood since moving in with you. I mean, she was going to the senior center every day and had friends in the neighborhood, right? Lots of friends in the neighborhood. And so she would go to the senior center Monday through Thursday. And so the last time she went was March 2nd which was her last day really in public outside of one doctor's appointment since then. And so I was really nervous about how she was going to be without her routine. Mm -hmm. And one sweet thing that just really shows how great the West Seattle community is, the senior center has called me twice to check in on her. And they wanted to make sure that she was properly fed and just doing well. And I just thought, wow, that's just, really thoughtful. So I I thought that was a really nice thing. But what I've seen is without her having that routine, she naps a whole lot more. Mm -hmm. And I've seen some more mental deterioration at a more rapid speed than what had happened before. So I try to engage her. We did a puzzle the other night and I did two sides and she had gotten seven pieces together, three in one cluster and four in the other. And I thought that it would be a partnership doing the puzzle. I thought maybe we would talk, but it was kind of a silent activity. And the one thing about my mom is she is always happy. And once in a while, she'll joke about having dementia. 
So I looked up at her and she had the seven pieces put together. And I was like, wow, you know, good job. You've got those pieces put together. And she mm. looked at what I had done and she goes, yes, I'm just clipping right along. <laughs> 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 Made fun of herself. So it was, it was cute, but we also, it was an eye-opening experience for me that in December when we got the puzzle, her mental capacity could have been such that she could have done the puzzle, but oh, wow. now as it is down, she, she is not able to, and she has no interest in it. So yeah. We put that aside for now. And uh, I mean, being yeah. in your position as a, a caregiver for a parent with dementia or issues like that can be very stressful. And now you're the 24-7 live-in person. How has that been for you? It's been really challenging. She goes to bed at 8.30 and at 8, you know, 32, that's when I'm sort of off the clock and I can just have my time to unwind and watch a TV show that she wouldn't otherwise understand. and. Mm-hmm just have my time to decompress. But yeah, it's, you know, in the mornings she gets up when I do and she likes to eat when I eat and, and do things like that. So I do now go on one walk a day and that is kind of my, my time too. And then after she goes to bed, but it, it's challenging. It's also really rewarding, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's very challenging. It's, it's exhausting and it's a test of patience. So. Yeah. I just take a deep breath and think about how I'd want to be treated if I were in her shoes mm. and just know that it's not her choice. I mean, it's easy sometimes to think, oh, wow, why is she asking me that question again? But if I just remind myself, it, she did not choose dementia. She doesn't want this. But I do have a really cute story about her making do in a situation. And hopefully I won't get choked up. But <laughs> last year for her birthday, she turned 80 and she'd been looking forward to turning 80 for a really long time. There used to be a TV show called Life Begins at 80. Mm-hmm. So maybe about the time when she was 73, she started looking forward to turning 80. So I kind of fell into the idea of posting on social media to see if anybody would be interested in sending her a birthday card because at the time her one job was to get the mail every day. Mm-hmm. Now it's not her job because I don't want her touching things or, yeah. you know, risking falling, just getting to the mailbox. But she got 260 birthday cards from around the world. Wow. It was amazing. And what happened was she got a little exhausted opening up the cards. So I set aside a big stack for this year's birthday. And I pulled them out and she's kind of slowly been going through those cards. Well, one day she went to bed and about 10 o'clock I ran upstairs uh, for something and saw that her bedroom light was on. Mm -hmm. So I said, mom, are you okay? And she goes, I'm fine. Don't come in here. And she's never said that before. Mm. So naturally I got really worried. I said, why, why can't I go in there? She goes, I'm doing something and I'll tell you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. <laughs> so I came in my room, got what I was looking for. And as I was leaving, she still had her light on. So I said, mom, are you really okay? She goes, I'm fine. We'll talk tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I was thinking, well, that means we'll probably never talk about it again. Cause she's <laughs> not going to remember. <laughs> so I went downstairs and a while later I heard her creeping down the stairs and I was like, mom, what's going on? Are you okay? And she said, I'm looking for my purse. And I said, okay, well, it's over here. And I said, is there a reason why you need your purse at 11 p.m.? Yeah. And she goes, well, it's your birthday tomorrow, so just put it together and figure it out, which she was being silly about that. She was being <laughs> rude. And I said, my birthday is in a month. And she goes, oh, okay. Well, I can go to bed now. And I go, <laughs> okay. So, so then being a snooping, you know, parent, mm-hmm. the next day I went into her bedroom to see what it was that she had been working on. 
she had taken one of the birthday cards that she opened up this year. Somebody had written in pencil, and she erased it and wrote me a beautiful birthday card. Oh, oh that's so amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Very unexpected and just very, very, very sweet. Let's move on to Curtis, who lives on the north end of the Alaska Junction. Back in March, when the coronavirus situation was starting to explode, Curtis suddenly found himself out of a job and living alone. Faced with an uncertain future, he took a chance on revisiting his past. Describe to me what your life was like just before COVID-19 hit. Things were pretty frantic. It was a busy time at work. A lot of people were getting sick and kind of just working through it because it was sort of a crunch time. Mm -hmm. And looking back... I've been kind of scared. I was, I was wondering, like, is that, was that potentially COVID-19? And we just didn't know it. And then not long after that, you were not working at the office anymore, right? That's right. Definitely. I lost my job right at the beginning of this situation. So you were working from home for about a month before things really started getting crazy with the coronavirus. I was freelancing and I was, I was losing my mind because you know, I was trying to get it on unemployment as well, and it was just an overloaded system. There was a lot of uncertainty. And beyond work, well, were you dating anyone at the time or anything like that? Yeah, I'd been, I'd been seeing this guy, I guess, since June. And we'd already lived together for one stint between, I would say, July and December, around mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. And it had been a sort of on and off relationship and the most exciting interpretation of that. It was uh, it was the kind of thing where we'd already lived together once for a period of about six months. And we decided that that wasn't right for us. And that was an amicable decision. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't like this big dramatic blow up or anything. But then COVID-19 came along and it sort of just threw all of the readings off, I would say. It was mm-hmm. hard to know what to do in that situation. I found it really hard to evaluate. He called me up and we both lost our jobs within, you know, a one week period and he was wanting to move back in. And I don't think that would have even come up if it hadn't been for COVID-19. Yeah. But the reason it came up is because there were rumors that it wasn't known yet, but there were rumors that there was going to be a stay home order given. We didn't want to be stuck alone mm-hmm. in our own places. And We both were financially very concerned because we both lost our jobs. Neither of us were able to get even like logged into the unemployment website yet. Yeah. And we were both just trying to do like odd jobs and scrounge to pay our rent. And so, you know, when he proposed that he should move back in, first of all, normally that wouldn't have come up. But second of all, if that had somehow come up, I would have been able to say things like, I care a lot for you, but it didn't work out the first time. We probably shouldn't try that again. Who knows? The time periods being discussed were crazy. Maybe two or three months, but maybe two years, uh-huh. you know? So, you know, you're hearing things like that. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know even where my next rent check is going to come from. So mm-hmm. maybe, you know, maybe we should do this. And I think that it just was the the types of considerations about like, am I going to die? It, it's really, really hard to make good choices when those are the kind of things that are... <laughs> you know, being weighed. Yeah. <laughs> it throws off the whole scale. You yes. Know? <laughs> it definitely tips the scales from maybe throws them out the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 You went ahead and decided to uh, have him move back in. Yeah. I mean, it, it felt like this is somebody I care very much about, you know, even still. And, 
it was like, no, I don't want us to get sick separately and not be able to take care of each other. Or no, I don't want to like be living alone and find out that he got like thrown out of his apartment or, you know, some, you know, there's all these like nightmare scenarios like right. that going through my head. But yeah, it wasn't ever, we didn't ever say, Hey, won't this be fun? We never thought that it was like, we did, we had tried it for six months and it was hard. And, you know, my, I live in like a 700 square foot apartment, it's two mm. rooms, but he's got two rats. I have a cat. <laughs> so there's like five living creatures in this, in these like small two rooms. Yeah. And, you know, we had all the best intentions going into it and it was all like, you know, we're going to take the space that we need and be good to each other mm-hmm. and take walks and we're going to do like morning aerobics and <laughs> all this, you know, all the best of plans. But, oh my gosh, I I think just the weight of the situation was like, it's just... It, it, what really came to the surface after a couple months was it was really hard to not do a heavy measure of self-judgment and projection. And I think we are both doing it. So mm. it, all those like judgments that you normally have, I don't know how to say it. Let's take it like if, if it's me, like what if I'm working on my computer on like a design project and I do that like all day and I barely take a break for lunch, and I'm just wearing my sweats and my T-shirt, and now what if I do that for four or five days in a row? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if no one is there to look at me doing it, then I'm just making my money, and things are fine, and yeah, I'm a little bit like, I'm not that inspiring as an individual, but whatever, this is a hard circumstance that we're all in, you know, so Mm -hmm. you can just write that off. But if there's someone there to witness it, it's really hard not to be hard on yourself, at least for me. So... Suddenly, I'm like, I'm a slob, you know, it's like all the normal measures of productivity. I think we're both just like weighing down on us really hard and kind of crushing us sure. in this small space. Yeah. You know, well, it's like, like what any... have you done today? What have you achieved? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and and, you know, and I think it's pretty common when you're in the early stages of a relationship, you're looking at the other person and thinking, is this who you are? You know, am I going to be dealing with this part of you for the rest of my life? Could I deal with this? for the rest of my life you know how long yeah okay and that's another really good point is that all the normal difficult i shouldn't even call them normal but all the difficult things that came up during covid19 that we were both dealing with it was really hard not to carry those out in our minds into like is this forever or is this like what we really are or you know those kind of thoughts and it's like no actually we're dealing with a really difficult crisis right now and nothing is normal and we yeah. you know wouldn't even have been doing that if if it weren't for the situation and and we knew that you know we we weren't stupid we would have those conversations but it doesn't matter you know at the end of the day you're still having the thought of like is this really is this what we've become <laughs> and it's just hard not to think that thought whether or not those are the words that wrap the thought or not that's the basis of the thought is like oh no, look at the wasteland of my life, you know, or whatever. (laughs) Well, it it sounds like your intentions were to live in the moment. And it's really hard to do that when you don't know when that moment's going to end. And when, you know, the news is saying unprecedented situation that, you know, this is the new normal. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and I think we are both just like, going through a whole lot of self judgment and a lot of projection, and a lot of having trouble extracting our individual selves from the impact of the situation. And so ultimately, I guess a couple months in, 
we split back up again and, you know, it was our second time to move the rats out of my place and <laughs> everything else. And it was just heartbreaking at the time. Like I, I had to take a walk cause I didn't want to be just like crying my eyes out. Mm. I, I felt like such a failure to me to basically feel like I was losing the same guy twice. But, you know, looking back on it now that there's been some months since then, I'm glad we made that choice. And, you know, I don't think we could have evaluated our situation that we were in at the beginning of this any differently. Mm-hmm. And and then after, it's like, well, we did what we had to do. When we made that choice, that was still the phase when, like, every CEO on the planet was, you know, writing our inboxes every morning with how much they cared about our health. And <laughs> so it was just like a really weird time, right? Yeah. And we were trying to respond to that. So it was uh, it was a mutual decision. It sounds like, and how did you guys reach that? Well, it was a it was a really difficult conversation. I would just say it was you know from the very beginning of our relationship and our knowing of each other, we agreed to be one hundred percent honest, mm-hmm. and that's been something that I've never done to that degree that we did or that we do still even. Mm-hmm. I guess in my prior relationships. I was always gently trying to mold myself into something that would fit well with some individual that I respected or admired in some way. Mm -hmm. So I would take on new attributes or take on new hobbies or change my style or change my BMI or, you know, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And this was the first time I went into it and just said, this has got to be the last time I try this. I just am going to be 100% who I am and I expect the same from him. And we're just going to be really open with our communication we're both good at words, and so we're going to be able to work this out. And I guess, like, the <laughs> the happy, sad thing is that that means that, you know, things do work out. And this is an example of it working out, is that we had to, we had to separate. Have you guys been communicating still? Yeah, very much so. I, well, you know, it's been a, a, more than a year now of knowing one another, and I, I still very much love him as a member of my family no matter what. I'm not in the, you know, business of making enemies out of every ex if I can help it. So, you know, yeah, we definitely still are in close communication. And I think that we both are feeling a lot of relief with just kind of reclaiming our own spaces and like being able to have those moments that are impossible to have in front of somebody else and not hate yourself. But like during this, you kind of have to have them where it's like, I'm going to eat a tub of ice cream and go to bed at 8 PM. And you know what? I can't really do that in front of anybody. And I know that he (laughs) needs similar things and he's going to have to just, you know, be on his own to be able to do what he needs to do. I can't say that I, a happily married man have gone to the, eating a tub of ice cream in front of my husband, but he's definitely seen and witnessed and endured some behavior. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to back down from that statement too much, but I'll say it's not that I felt like I couldn't do that, but could I still love myself and do that in front of somebody? No, you know, I couldn't, you know, maybe other people can, but there's a lot of things that like I need that I can't love myself if anyone is like watching me. So now you're alone at home with your cat. What are you doing to stay connected with people, if anything? Oh my gosh, the days, these days. It feels like every day lasts about 15 minutes. I just try to scramble and get as much freelance done as I can every single day. I never get as much done as I wish I could. But I guess the way I'm dealing with it right now is just focusing on work. And I try to have like one good conversation with one friend every day if I can, whether that's by text or phone. 
So I would say that's what I'm doing, and it's about as much as I can manage right now. You, along with uh, a lot of other people I know, have really taken a deep dive into this game, Animal Crossing. Can you tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about that? True, yeah. Well, so I've been an Animal Crossing friend since, I guess, the first version in the U.S. came out for GameCube back in the early thousands. So I've been a longtime fan of it. But the social aspect of this has been such an amazing thing. I think during this time in particular, it's just been great to go out in the evening with friends in Animal Crossing and to be able to do things like just sit there and gaze at stars and not necessarily talk. That's been really sweet instead of trying to fill the air. So it kind of has taken the place of hanging out together until that's possible again, I would say. And are those hanging out sessions, is that something that you schedule or you just turn on the game and then you find your friends and you or mm-hmm. sort of organically decide to do things or is it stuff that you set up in advance? Well, I would say I have a couple friends that are so obsessed with the game. I mean, I've probably put about 100 hours into the game at this point, which is a lot for me, but two or three of my friends are spent over 500 hours. It's just all they're doing is playing it. And uh, they're doing amazing things with their towns and all that, you know, and so it's very impressive to see them. But they also kind of serve as hubs, like there's always people hanging out because they're just always there. So Mm. usually you can easily go join somebody like that. It's not a game where there's an end or a a goal or anything like that. It's just it is just sort of about community sort of hanging out thing. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a neighborhood sim, I would say. It's it's whimsical. It's well written. It's really cute to look at. Humor's great, but yeah, it's mainly just a low-stress relaxation game. And I think it was developed to sort of be played in like 20-minute chunks, but with it happening right at the beginning of COVID-19, I know everyone is way further along in the content than the developers were probably anticipating because it's just like all, all a lot of people are doing right now. Are you mostly doing that with people that you already know, or are you meeting new people through that? I meet some new people because when I go visit someone, there's usually other people hanging out there as well. And you can hear them because, you know, you're on the Nintendo online voice chat app. And so, you know, you can see their usernames and hear their voices. And sometimes you add them as a friend. But I haven't really made a strong connection that way. So I think it's like a non-confrontational introvert kind of Zoom call. Because if I'm on a Zoom call or something like that, I feel like I need to be looking like I'm actively listening or else speaking And I don't really want to have to do either. And with Animal Crossing, it's just obscured enough that you can just be hanging out. Or you can be talking about like what you did with your flowers, you know. And so it's like, doesn't have to be about the difficult stuff in life. You know, Mm. it's a way of just kind of paring it down to just a relaxing element. Do you think it, it could become like an alternative to Zoom meetings where people, you know, meet me in my Animal Crossing land and we'll talk about that spreadsheet or something like that? I think some people are doing that, but I've heard that if you have more than six people or so with you, it becomes sort of unstable. So, yeah, I I think it's more just for small groups of friends. Finally, let's check in with Keisha Vaughn. While her husband Matt of Easy Street Records is out bringing music to the masses in an effort to keep their business alive, Keisha is holding down the fort and learning new things about her own family. For this episode, I've been talking to different people about the impact of our situation on their closest relationships, and I was wondering if you wanted to talk about that at all. Yeah. Your husband has been a a superstar of the COVID pivot news out there. Yeah. 
delivering music and food to the entire city, which is awesome. Is he out all day, most of the day? Or like, would you guys have a schedule for that? Or They do deliveries, like food deliveries from 9 to 12. So mm-hmm. if there's something to be delivered, he tries to get in during that time. And then normally he's kind of in there, out there by like 9 or 10 anyway. Mm-hmm. And then waits until the end of the day for all the like online orders that need to be delivered waits until they've all kind of accumulated so he can get an idea of like where he needs to go. So then sometimes he's leaving again at five in the evening and then out until sometimes 10 o'clock at night. Like he's definitely hitting the streets hard right now. Yeah. And I think for myself and like our relationship, we're probably doing better as a couple in this kind of quarantine lifestyle because there's a sense of normalcy that one of us is out of the house. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's also sparked my longing to support him in that sense that when he is here, like our morning is filled with rituals that I can support him to feel like safe and taken care of, Mm. you know, whether that's doing our fire ciders and taking our vitamins together and giving him a sense of like what I'm doing in the home is still supporting him out there, which is supporting our family. Right. And I feel like it's really like kind of brought this, little bit of sparked romance because it feels very, I mean, I don't want to say like 50s housewife, but like, <laughs> you know, he's out on the farm and I'm taking care of the children and <laughs> it just kind of has that, I mean, maybe that's kinky. Maybe that's <laughs> why we're a little more into it because it's outside of the normal, you know, roles where, you know, we both are working all the time. Yeah. And it's allowed me as well, the relationship with, our children, which, you know, from day to day can be hit or miss, but I've really like gotten to know them. Mm -hmm. And this time that normally they would have been at school, like six hours, five days a week. That's a lot of time actually. And now it's like, I'm kind of getting a sense of why their teachers love them or their friends love them. Mm -hmm. And not that I didn't, but you know, it's this part of their personalities that are continuing to develop and grow that I get to be really there for. And there's moments that like, you know, most people I'm ready for this to be over with, but other moments <laughs> I really kind of love it. Like it's this really like love hate relationship with the idea that obviously I'm privileged enough to have opportunities to feel romantic and hopeful during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I'm, privilege to have a home where we can separate and people can have areas to isolate themselves if they need some space from everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I could see how if you didn't have that kind of space or opportunities, it would take a real toll on your emotional and mental well-being and that in relationship to the people that you're sharing that space with. Mm -hmm. Has anything out of your situation with your husband or your kids, has anything been surprising to you? Something that you've learned about them through this situation that maybe you didn't know before? I feel like we in general are much braver than I thought. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've tried to have conversations with these children, like asking them, like, how do you feel about this? Are you scared? Are you worried? Are you anxious? Do you miss your friends? And that they really do feel like a sense of contentment and safety being at home. Mm. But at the same time, because they are out there, they go out with Matt to make deliveries. They're not afraid to be in the world still. Yeah. And they are taking pride in our family's business and they're taking pride in how they can help the community and they're 
taking pride in seeing how excited and happy people are to receive music and how that is affecting like their homes, like mm. that domino effect of what our business is able to provide, you yeah. know? So, and they've done like, they've ahead. done deliveries to like the hospital. And I think for Archie, especially to like go in there and see like, these are the people who are working really hard so that others can be safe, you know? Yeah. That's so cool. So yeah, this is probably a, a new level of involvement for them, you know, that they didn't really have quite before, or just a different understanding of what the family business is all about. Fully. And I just have these moments of like, oh, this is like the 1920s or something. And these kids are going to be like, I dropped out of the third grade to, to the family business. And now, you know, I have a sixth grade education and you know it's like <laughs> we are kind of changing the idea of what's important for our children during this time and that's for them to feel secure mm -hmm. and also to really feel like they can understand like what we have to do to put a roof over our head yeah and that it just made me really proud of of them and of matt and proud of myself as well for being able to support everyone in that way yeah that's so cool because being here it's hard sometimes to feel like I can't leave and I have to try and keep it organized and that can feel overwhelming. But it's the reality that if we are working as a family to make sure we're supporting each other and at the end of the day, the goal is that we feel secure and happy, mm -hmm. you know, it's working. It's working for us at least. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. My heart definitely goes out to anyone who is, you know, in a situation where they don't feel secure or safe or they feel overwhelmed, they don't have help, you know, yeah. those kind of things. I get it. And I think what Matt and your kids are doing by bringing joy to people with music and food and all that stuff is filling a little bit of that void for people out there who probably really need it. I mean, it's a treat. It's a real treat coming to your house and bringing you something that's going to change the mood for the day. Mm -hmm. Something to look forward to. So you have this ritual with Matt in the morning where you like get him all vitamined up to go out into the strange unknown. What about yes. when he comes back? You're all together as a family, and are you finding that you're getting enough just you and Matt time alone, or has that been different that does not happen <laughs> i mean we've had a couple times that like a date night is a day date which is you know maybe like getting a burrito and a bottle of wine and drinking that in the park mm -hmm. and then doing deliveries or something in the house it's, it's really hard by the time he gets home sometimes the last thing i want to do is make another meal mm -hmm. but for me to let him know that i'm thankful for him and you know getting into like love languages or you know whatever it's, <laughs> it's that's an easy way for him to feel like he came home and this feels safe and it's worth like fighting for just like his business you know yeah. and so i mean we're definitely drinking the wine we're definitely <laughs> eating the pasta and we're definitely trying when we can you know to like get everyone back together sitting around you know our table and and having like real discussions and it has, it's been really beautiful. It's been, not every day is beautiful, but it's had some real opportunities for us to feel not afraid to to keep trying and keep pushing and fight the fight. We're all kind of sort of retreating back to basics and, and not taking for granted all the things that we, that we had and have and had to look forward to. 
And I think that's kind of reflected in some of what you've been saying about the things that you are appreciating in a different way. And that is a real motivating factor. I know definitely for Corey Anton and I, we frequently look at each other and just say, gosh, I'm so glad I'm going through this with you. (laughs) You know, I mean, I just feel like, and especially in the point of our relationship, like being together, married for 10 years with these two kids, this is a very... I feel like a strong time in our relationship and I'm so thankful it's happening. Not thankful that it's happening now, but like of all the times in our relationship for this to have gone down, like this is one where we're much more secure. And so it's, you know, the likelihood of taking anything out on someone for no reason, it goes down dramatically. (laughs) But like, if this was us with like toddlers, I mean, that's a hard time to be parents and be people like, and that was a hard time for me as a parent. Like that was a bit of a struggle. So Mm -hmm. feeling like of all the times for this to happen, this was a good one. (laughs) Have you actually looked back at the toddler time and thought like, Oh man, I, you know, like imagine like what it would be. (laughs) I I mean, and I do, I see these women, they're like pregnant or just had a baby or, you know, have toddlers. I'm like, Oh my God gosh man like not being able to have access to a playground Mm. that's that's tough like that was always like a a relief and like they're kind of they're down for playgrounds but they're not super like dependent on you know going to the park to have a good time Mm -hmm. and so feeling like we can just like ride our bike and that could be the thing but yeah my heart goes out to anyone with people under the age of five in their house That's it for this episode of Always West Seattle. Big thanks to Lena, Curtis, and Keisha for sharing their stories with us. If you've got a story you'd like us to know about, find Always West Seattle on Facebook or reach us at alwayswestseattle.com. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe to Always West Seattle on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and tell a friend. Stay safe and thanks for listening.